Good morning again. Um, so, yeah, as Rob uh, alluded to, I'm, I'm not feeling my best, but there is an advantage to having to um, preach when you don't feel well. Because, you know, when you have access to all of your, like, faculties and your mind feels super sharp, it's really easy to be like, I have this thing prepared, and, like, it's going to matter because I'm here for it, and, like, I'm funny, or, like, I'm insightful, or whatever. But when you're, like, on the space station like I am right now, you're just like, we're just going to put it out there and um, see if God does something with it. And that is honestly a much safer place to be spiritually. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, It'll be on the screen and in your um, handout. And uh, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, um, just in terms of how bizarre it is. And um, sometimes in the church, we act like things that are very uh, strange are very normal. And um, hopefully we won't feel that way this morning. The book of Acts comes after the Gospels, and um, it's the story of what happened after Jesus. So Jesus came, and um, you've probably heard of him, and did some stuff, miracles, all kinds of things, taught people, and then he was crucified for our sin and, and died, and then he rose from the dead. And then for 40 days, he was walking around, like walking through doors, just doing the stuff you do when you rise from the dead, and um, appearing to many people all at one time. And, um, and then, at the beginning of Acts, he, um, he's with his disciples, and he, like, you ever, like, let a balloon go at the fair, and then you just watch it until it goes behind a cloud and you can't see it anymore? That's what Jesus did. Uh, he just floated away. It's pretty weird. Um, and uh, this is what happens after that. This is the story of how this little, this tiny sect of um, followers of a Jewish rabbi became the most diverse faith movement on the planet uh, to this day. And um, it's very odd. In my family, back when we were uh, more consistent parents, um, meaning like when our children were younger and had less opinions, um, we used to do catechism with our kids, which is like a question and answer way to learn about God. And one of the questions is, what can God do? And the answer is, God can do all his holy will. But we don't like that religious language in our house, so we would just say, God can do whatever he wants. And that's the point of this sermon this morning, okay? If you just need to take something away with you, it's God can do whatever he wants, as indicated by this passage. All right, this is Acts chapter 2 couple of things. It says Pentecost. That, that word just means that it was 50 days after Passover. So it had been seven weeks, seven sevens after the feast of Passover. At Passover, you know, there was Jewish people that were all over the ancient world and they would all come to Jerusalem for Passover and then they would go home for seven weeks and then they would come back to Jerusalem for this feast um, called Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. It's a harvest ceremony. And uh, we pick up a story of 120 people during Pentecost up in this room. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the 120 followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, a given, um, but these people were from all over the world. When he starts talking about all these different places, it's like all the places they knew in the world, they're there. So they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, they hear this big hurricane sound, the multitude came together, and they run to this house, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So people that couldn't speak an, uh, Egyptian or whatever, they suddenly speak, are, are able to speak it, and people are understanding them. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all the, these who speak, are speaking Galileans? Galileans aren't people that you would expect to be multilingual. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. You know, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So both ethnic Jews and people that were not ethnically Jewish who had converted to, to Judaism. Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They've been drinking on that sweet wine early in the morning, and so they're acting crazy. Let's pray. Uh, Father, Son, Spirit, um, you are real, you are alive, you, um, you can do anything you want, all your holy will. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that you would show up to us now. Um, I don't demand it, you can do whatever you want, but Lord, we just read your word and... We want to see you. We want to hear from you. Lord, whether we're here and we know you or we don't, we each have a deep longing to connect with you and to experience your love. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that, that you would show up to us, um, that you would do amazing things uh, in us and in this community. Uh, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Okay, so sometimes um, in sermons, the person will talk for a long time just explaining to you about what all the different parts of the passage mean, and it's really more of a lecture than a sermon when they do that, um, but there are probably a few questions that you have from the passage. Also, like, you could Google it, um, but that trips me out at church all the time. It's like, they, we could have stayed home and we could have Googled that. Um, but a few things, um, these people are in this room and 120 people and crazy stuff starts happening around them. The two crazy things are that 
suddenly everyone's hair is on fire, and they're like, there's fire on their head, which I still haven't seen that one in person yet. Want to. Um, hoping for it. Something, Luke, does your coach ever tell you, like, you guys are out there playing like, like, with your hair on fire? Yes, your coach tells you. That's a very football coach thing to say. Um, that's the only other time I hear people talking about people's head being on fire is football coaches. Um, all right, so there's flames on the people's head, and they start talking in other languages. What, is, what do these things mean, and why does it matter to us? Um, in the Bible, if you read the Old Testament, whenever, pretty much whenever God shows up and he's going to be present in a place, like I don't know how you would announce yourself like when you come somewhere, if it's like a certain kind of like handshake or whatever when you, when you show up with your people. When God showed up, it was with fire. So Moses one time is walking along with some sheep, and there's a bush that's on fire because God is there. It's one time Abraham is meeting with God, and God shows himself as this, uh, this smoking fire pot. Um, then God tells his people to build a tent. He said, I want to live in the tent. And they build a tent. Worst thing that can happen if you build a tent is it catches on fire, but that's what happens with the tabernacle. God comes down in this pillar of fire in this place. Um, whenever there's fire, it's because God is there. Um, which is a, it's a pretty good symbol for God. It's pretty smart that he came up with that one. Um, because fire is good, it's warming, and you can cook your food, and it gives light, and it's also like, will burn you up. Um, and that is a pretty easy way to shorthand for God. Um, very intense, but also very inviting. And whenever God shows up in the fire, he creates a thin place between heaven and earth. So when God shows up in a space, it's like there's the realm of heaven and there's the realm of earth, and God makes the barrier between those two places very thin so that we can pass over to where he is and that he can pass over to where we are. And what God is showing in this is that he is now present, not just that he's in the place, but as this fire rests on each of these 120 people, he's showing that I'm inside these people. I've taken up residence inside them. Um, Jesus had told these people that this was going to happen. In John 16, he said, I'm going to leave, but it's going to be better if I leave. Now, if, if you're dating someone and they say, hey, we're going to go long distance, but it's going to be better, that just means they don't like you. Um, they're not enjoying your company. Um, how about if we just see each other less? Uh, that would be good. Um, Jesus, but Jesus says, I'm going to go. And they, how, could they, how could it be better with Jesus to go? He's the, he's the son of God. He's the one that's been working these miracles. And Jesus says, look, if I, if I don't go, I can't send the Spirit to you. But if I do go, I'm going to send the Spirit. And Jesus, when Jesus leaves, he then sends his Spirit, and God gets even closer to his people than when Jesus was here. Because what God is doing throughout all the scripture, and actually in your life too, is that God is always getting closer to us. Um, he loves to be close to us. Um, and it, you know, throughout the, the biblical story, God is coming to his people, but then when he comes in Jesus, you're like, this is as close as you could get. God became a human being. And he's like hugging people 
and crying with them. Like, that's as close as God could possibly get. But then Jesus ascends. Again, he floats up like a balloon. And the Spirit comes, and God gets even closer. God actually becomes, like, comes into people's lives, comes into our very hearts. So that if you know Jesus at the center of who you are, God lives. He loves to get close. And what happens, and what God's showing here, this is happening in a very specific way in Acts but this happens with anyone that knows Jesus by faith, is that thin space between heaven and earth becomes you. That the place where heaven and earth meet is actually inside your own soul and inside this new temple of people that have God inside them. It's crazy. Um, so that's the, that's the fire God is getting really, really close. But then the, the tongues. There's tongues of fire. They begin to speak in other tongues. At the end, it says, these people are they're telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Tongues just means language in this. So what's happening is the Spirit has come, and these people who worship the same God, they're in a sense still divided because they can't speak directly to each other. And the Spirit who created all things comes into them and makes it so they can speak another language. Um, I love Hanan and her family. They live next door. They're from Syria. They speak Arabic. They have a lot more English than I have Arabic, because um, I have zero Arabic. Um, but they, and they have more English. And I love them, and I think it's funny how like we miscommunicate sometimes. But most of the time, I'm like, I just wish that we could talk directly, and I don't have to call Hela, and Hela could translate for me to Hanan what is going on. Um, there's a barrier between us because I don't speak their language and they are just learning to speak mine. And the Spirit comes and he just completely removes that barrier where people can actually hear in their own language. It's funny. He doesn't make people able to understand what they're saying. He changes what they're saying into a different language so that they could understand. Like God changes it for us. It's very discombobulating. He allows all these people to come near to him. Now, I want you to imagine like you have kids and you're sitting downstairs enjoying a quiet evening and you hear a very loud sound upstairs. The kind of sound that makes you jump up and run upstairs to see what's going on. That's the mighty rushing wind. And when you walk into the room, all the children are on fire and they're speaking Arabic. And they're like, hey, it's cool. God is here. He's at work. You'd be like, that doesn't seem right. Um, that's not, that was an unexpected way for God to do that. Um, and I think the bizarreness is part of what's beautiful about it. But God has, has indwelled these people and he's removed the barriers to make them into one. Into what Peter would later say that they're, they're like, being built up into a new temple where God dwells. And the question is, like, what brings Christian people together? What is it, what, like, why do we come together? Some Christian traditions organize around the way that they do worship. Some Christian traditions organize around what they think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they practice them. Some Christian traditions organize around missions our particular Christian tradition organizes around 
theologians that we agree on, which is a weird thing to socially organize around, but it's okay. Um, yesterday I was watching the English championship playoff final between Luton City, uh, Luton Town and Coventry City, who I had never heard of any of these teams before, but people were super into it, and that's all I need to watch something is to know that the people on TV are really into it. And it was a great game, it went to penalties, it was awesome. And these teams are trying to ascend into the Premier League, the top soccer league in the world. And what I was I'm always amazed when I watch like international soccer because half the stadium will be one color and the other stadium will be another color. Coventry City were all in blue. They were the uh, sky blues. And actually, Luton Town is the Hatters. I guess they make hats there. Anyway, um, they were all red. And they were like as one as you could possibly be. They wanted the same things. They were wearing the same colors. They were doing the same chants. It was pretty easy to see what made them, brought them together. What brings Christian people together? Uh, allow the weirdness of this to be real to you. What brings Christian people together is that God is inside them. So like if you're a Christian and someone else is a Christian, you have God living inside of you. And God can do whatever he wants. So what might God do? Christians aren't, don't come together because we're like-minded. Christians don't come together because we share the same values. Like I work in campus ministry and I love it and I love Wake Forest. Generally, when I ask someone why they came to RUF, they're like, say they want to be around like-minded people or they want to be with people that share their values. And I'm like, I really hope that changes really soon. Um, because what I hope will happen over time is like, well, I'm here now because God is here. Because God is real and he's inside this other person and I want to experience him through them. Christians are united by God being inside of us. Susan asked me to preach this passage, and she said, talk about community, um, which I haven't done yet, and I'm not going to either. Um, but uh, <clears throat> because instead what I want to do is I want to invite us to ask God, what do you want to do uh, in me? And what do you want to do in us? After all this stuff happens, Peter preaches a sermon. He rips off a righteous sermon in which he tells all the people that are there, thousands of people, he tells them, you know what? God already came, and you missed it, and you're all losers. <coughs> That's basically the point of the sermon. God was here, and you killed him. Let's pray. Um, and at the end of his sermon, he says this. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And 3,000 people become Christians. At this point, there were 120 total Christians. And because of this one weird hair on fire situation, and then Peter's saying, you guys are losers, and you missed God, and then you killed him, then 20, 25 times the number of people become Christians all at once. Pretty weird. Um, because God can do whatever he wants. 
Um, Georgia, do you remember this song, this uh, book, Out of the Salt Shaker into the World? Remember that book? Jen, you remember that book too. Okay. There was a moment in early 2000s evangelical Christianity where this book was the hotness, okay? But I was listening to someone else preach on this passage and they um, told the story. It's a book by a woman named Rebecca Pippert. It's called Out of the Salt Shaker into the World. It's actually full of hilarious stories of this woman trying to tell people about Jesus and being really bad at it. And um, so it's my kind of literature. So in this, she's in Barcelona, and she's trying to get better at telling people about Jesus. And a friend tells her, you know, Becky, at some point, you need to ask people, what is keeping you from becoming a Christian right now? This is a classic, like, American church thing. Where it's like, there's a particular question, and you have to ask them. And if you ask them, things are going to happen. If you don't ask them, you're a coward, okay? And um, so she says, you need to ask people, what's keeping you from becoming a Christian right now? So she decides, I'm going to do that with this guy named Todd, who comes to their campus discussion group. And the reason she asked Todd is because there was zero chance that he was actually going to become a Christian. He was uh, like an avowed atheist, and he was like, he only came to the things to be disruptive, but they got along really well. She's like, I'm going to invite Todd to coffee, and I'm going to try this on Todd. <clears throat> and um, so she gets together with Todd in Barcelona, and she says, Todd, you've been part of this discussion all semester. You've heard a lot about God. You've never decided what to do with God. One of these days, you're going to have to decide. Sooner or later, God is going to speak to you and say, decide now. And what are you going to say? She said, I was feeling so proud for sounding firm even though my confidence stemmed only from the fact that he would never respond, that I failed to notice how serious his face became. Todd said, you're right. God is speaking. I'm saying yes. She kept talking because she didn't hear him. She said, you're going to have to make a decision one of these days when you stand before God. Todd said, God has been speaking to me right now. I said yes. Becky said, Todd, don't scare me like that. Becky, I'm not kidding. I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I'm ready now. Todd, listen to me. You can't rush into this. <laughs> it's a huge decision, and it'll change your life so much. You better think it over. Becky, this isn't an emotional decision. I know I put up a good front, but I've been thinking about God for a long time. Now look, I want to become a Christian. Right here? in the restaurant, in front of everybody? Todd, I can't. Why not? Because I've never done anything like this before. Don't worry. I haven't either. I'll tell you what. This is the, now the atheist leads in prayer. Let's close our eyes. I'll say something to God. Then you do. And it'll be over in just a few minutes. So they prayed. They open their eyes. I'm going to switch to this because it feels like I keep going off. They prayed. They opened their eyes. She was nervous that he might feel some pressure to feel something immediately. So she said, you don't have to feel anything right now. Todd said, I feel totally different right now. <laughs> I looked at him in utter shock. Todd, oh my goodness. It works. Um... I love that <clears throat> story. 
Because God can just do whatever he wants to do. And he's not going to do the things that we, you know, expect him to do or ask him to do. And I don't know what you, like, are hoping for, for Redeemer to be. Um, or for the community that you live in. Um, but what I want to do is I want to invite us. The deacons are going to come down here in a second. And they're going to take up the offering. And while we're doing that, there's some music going to be playing. I just want to invite you to spend some time with God saying, God, what do you want to do? Um, what are you leading me toward? How are you going to show up? And actually trust that he might say or do something. So I'm gonna, as I pray, these homies are going to come down and they're going to disperse the baskets. Um, you're free to give generously. There's no expectation or compulsion for you to give, unless you're a member, and then I think there is. But if you're not, then don't worry about it. Lord, thank you so much for this time um, that, you, uh, that we could share together. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you um, are so close. Um, Lord, oftentimes we look at ourselves and we say, like, how would anybody ever want to be close to me? Or we look at somebody else and say, how would anybody ever want to be close to that person? And you don't just come near us. You come inside of our life and you fill us and take a residence in us. And so, Lord, then when we say you can do whatever you want, that means that you're going to do whatever you want inside of us. And that's really scary. But, Lord, we ask you to speak to us now as we sit in this moment. Show us what you want to do and help us to believe that you are just as real as you were when you were freaking out these people in this upper room um, Lord, we want to hear from you so we pray that you would speak in Jesus name amen